Hey, welcome everybody to episode 109 of the No Normal Show for Thursday, June 24th, 2021, brought to you by Revive Health. This is our weekly deep dive in how hospital and health system marketers can navigate what we are calling the No Normal. I'm Chris Bevelo, Chief Brand Officer at Revive Health and your host for the show. I'm joined by Gretchen Stimson, Marketing Specialist at Revive Health. Did I say Stimson? You did. I, I wasn't going to correct we, we just covered it. <laughs> Gretchen, I apologize. Welcome, Gretchen. Nice to be here. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for um, sitting in for, for our friend Chase, who's not with us um, right now. He'll be back soon. Matt Gove, how are you, sir? Hey, man. I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. We're super excited to have Matt here. Um, I don't have your bio, Matt. Tell us your bio. Where'd it go? Uh, I don't know. I, could, I mean, I could give you the the, the short version of it. Uh, I'm the chief marketing officer at Summit Health, which is the product of a private equity-backed merger between CityMD, New York's largest uh, urgent care company, and Summit Medical Group, one of the largest independent, as in not health system connected, uh, physician groups in the country uh, based in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. So uh, New York metropolitan area uh, organization, um, which I can tell you a little bit more about in just a second. Prior to that, I was the chief consumer officer at Piedmont Healthcare, which is the largest health system in the state of Georgia. Uh, prior to that, I was the uh, head of marketing communications and external affairs for Grady Health System, which is the safety net healthcare provider in downtown Atlanta, um, where um, I was part of a business community rescue. Earlier, deep into the bio includes um, a long stint at Cousins Properties, a commercially traded, I mean, a publicly traded commercial real estate developer, uh, journalism, PR, et cetera. Perfect. Better than I could ever done myself. Thank you. Hold on to your comments. We're going to get to uh, a conversation with you, Matt, here in a second. First, we're going to cover... Why do we have Matt here? If you're new to this show, what are we actually doing here the No Normal Show? This is where we share industry trends, research stories from those from within healthcare, from outside of healthcare, whatever we need to do to bring you help to navigate the No Normal successfully. If you want to know what we mean by the No Normal, check out a post that we wrote last year that Gretchen will put in the comments section. Remember that this show is not just a live show. It's also a podcast. So you can find us on iTunes or on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post a recording of this show in video format. Uh, that should be up on our website by, oh, midday tomorrow, Friday. And you'll find that at thinkrevivehealth.com backslash no dash normal. All right. So, Matt, we have known each other for many years when you I don't know, it was right after you moved to piedmont it was somewhere in there but we we've been good friends for at least five years six years something like that that would um, be that would make it almost 10 years but go ahead oh has it been longer than that that's probably true it's, it's been a long time it's a long time it's been a long time and as long as i've known you um you know we're great friends we get along but also, I just love your opinion on so many things because you really say it like it is. And you also walk the talk. So if you don't know Matt, know that he's known as a, a first mover, a disruptor. Uh, so he's one of the first 
uh, I think the second system in the country at Piedmont, correct me if I'm wrong, to introduce star ratings for physicians. Yeah. Uh, early adopter, if not the first adopter, I'm not sure, of chatbots in terms of uh, health system websites. Uh, one of the first to have a chief, or a chief consumer officer title, not just a chief marketing or chief consumer, uh, communications officer title. Um, you were one of the first to have experience under your purview coming from a marketing communications or consumer perspective. Uh, you taught me all about the funnel, which is just now in my DNA and the importance of understanding how people move through the funnel and how marketing should be leveraged regarding the funnel and all that great stuff. And that was all while you were at a legacy health system like Piedmont. Now you are actually on the disruptor side of the ledger. I think that's fair to say. Uh, organizations like CityMD, Summit Health, uh, and all the others that are coming into this space and really taking it to the legacy hospital and health system. So that's why we have you here today. So now that you're on the other side, um, I'm going to say the enemy of a lot of people that you and I have known for years, but you're coming after their patients. <laughs> you're coming <laughs> after them. Um, and everybody deals with competition, but... Um, Boy, you're just coming out from a whole different perspective. So that's what we want to talk about. Um, the first thing is, and you've said this for, oh, I don't know, you've said this a couple times. And last time we were together in person, which is the Joe Public Retreat at the beginning of 2020, uh, you said this as well. Uh, but more recently as well, the whole idea that you're so much more free to disrupt and do different things because you don't have hospitals to worry about, the actual facilities, the actual buildings. Mm -hmm. so start there. What's your what's okay. your POV on that, and why is that important for people to understand um, how that helps you and maybe holds them back? Sure, yeah. I, so I um, I worked at what I what I believed, uh, what I still believe to be one of the smarter and um, less conservative health systems uh, in the country. Certainly, in the part of the country um, where it sits at Piedmont. Uh, one that is, was willing to embrace experience as the central part of our brand, one that was willing to elevate experience to the um, to the core of our uh, strategic approach to the business, uh, clinical quality and experience um, were the were the uh, the aims of what they called the Piedmont Promise, and still um, even in an organization like that, um, we are. Uh, or were very much tied to uh, what the hospitals need, right? And, and what the, and so um, to put it most simply, it's sort of they, they take up a lot of the oxygen in any room, in any organization where they're a part of, um, in part because they're these massive investments with fixed costs that have to be fed. And so um, sort of goes back to the funnel, which you mentioned, which I, I hold that is the core truth of, of, of the healthcare um, patient uh, process. And the sort of the core truth of our industry is that almost all patient journeys uh, start with a low acuity visit of some sort. It can be an urgent care, primary care, virtual visit, whatever. Um, and then are referred down. Referrals happen in lots of different ways. Referrals are physician referrals. Referrals are um, friends and family referrals. There's lots of different ways that a referral can happen, but the referrals do happen. 
Um, this idea that people are out shopping for healthcare is sort of hilarious. Um, and so, wait, uh, I want to it, that for later. <laughs> yeah, do it, please. <laughs> but so, um, the point is, uh, our entire business model at a health system um, relied on getting patients to the the highest acuity setting possible that that was required and necessary uh, there's still clinical organizations there's still decisions that are made by physicians in the best interest of the patient do not get me wrong there's nothing nefarious away about the way that a hospital system um, treats patients um, but um, hospital-based care is the goal right is is the um, is necessary in order for those organizations to survive and so what the hospital because they're very low margin uh, typically um, so they're making anywhere from uh, one to five percent annually five being a great year um, and so when your margins are that thin uh, um, and your and your profit is based on people being in the hospitals of course those when you're sitting in a boardroom uh, representing different sort of approaches to the business, those hospitals are going to win most of the time. And so um, uh, the organization that I'm in now, Summit Health, what is really exciting about what we're um, able to do, and it's not that we don't work with hospitals. Many of our physicians do procedures and work in partnerships, and we have hospitalists that work in hospitals across New Jersey, so or across northern New Jersey. But so don't get me wrong, uh, hospitals are still a critical part of the healthcare infrastructure of this country, um, and a critical part of what we do as a healthcare provider, even not owning them. But not owning them really does give us the opportunity to focus um, on how to deliver the best possible quality care combined with the best possible experience in a non-hospital setting. And then because we don't have the profit motive of having patients in a hospital, um, we can focus even more directly on what do we need to do for these these patients to keep them out of the hospital, not only because it's um, uh, not just because it's what's best for them, although that is always number one in our mind. But then we also don't have this, uh, this sort of added concern that says if they're not in the hospital, what does that do to our business? Again, I want to make it clear. Uh, health systems are not sitting there making this choice between getting a patient healthier uh, versus making profits in a hospital. But that is a a choice that is forced on them um, because of the way that these organizations are created. So they may not make the active choice, but you can bet that they, someone has to consider what happens if we don't, um, if we don't put, if the patient doesn't end up getting care in that higher cost setting to which they're very invested. Yeah, I mean, so obviously that's a huge benefit in terms of how you can innovate, how you can improve the experience. Uh, we had a conversation with with someone from a, a health system last week. Uh, it also brings into question, you know, the the greatest shift that's supposed to be happening in this in this field, which is fee for service to value based care. Uh, and for that to work, these systems that have hospitals have to somehow replace the revenue that comes from fee for service, often down funnel in high acuity hospital settings, with what would be considered value based care, which is keeping them out of the hospital. Um, the example that was given was somebody 
uh, had reduced admissions or readmissions from the ED or back to the ED from a behavioral health standpoint by having four behavioral health specialists in the ED. Um, the problem was they didn't get reimbursed for those specialists. Um, they were there to just help the people that needed help and then they didn't come back in the ED. So you're not getting paid for that. You're not getting paid for the readmissions, which is the right thing, right? You don't want them coming yep. back. And yep. a lot of those would actually end up in the hospital further down the line and you're not getting that revenue. So that is all of the right thing to do. But if you're a hospital, you just got, you just got knocked three different times financially. So how mm -hmm. do we expect these systems to actually move where we want them to go when they will just die financially if we truly go there um, is a whole nother conversation. But yeah, it does it, go back to it what is. you guys are able to do, right? It is part of the promise of the merger uh, and part of the promise of combining these organizations is how do we take this low acuity access point, um, this retail-like infrastructure, um, it's not actually retail, it's medicine, but at the retail-like infrastructure at CityMD where we have 150 urgent cares, um, many of which are in uh, denser urban settings um, where we have access to um, an enormous uh, patient base, right, in the, in the largest metropolitan area uh, in, the, in the country. Um, how do we use that to continue to provide that um, easy access to high quality, fast and, and simple care. Um, but then uh, as we introduce more specialty medicine into the city MD core markets um, uh, through the Summit Health uh, platform, how do we uh, use those to better manage people's care? How do we make them easy access points for people um, who are experiencing something that doesn't require a full uh, doctor's visit or especially visit it doesn't um, it may just be a, a simple blood draw or other um, or other uh, lab or, or imaging um, stop that doesn't require a full appointment for something else and um, the, it, this is the this is the model that forward-thinking health systems have already been trying to build right this is this, this is the direction that a lot of health systems are trying to go um, and, and we've got the benefit of being able to kind of come at it this way, um, use these, uh, use this network infrastructure to, to hopefully promote health um, and our incentives to get to the other point without going back into a, a topic that's another conversation. All of our incentives can be aligned, right? And that is really the, the core problem for uh, some health systems is the incentive, incentives just don't line up. And, and I don't know who's going to solve that. A, that is definitely not uh, ours to solve, uh, me and you, on this in this conversation. But um, that's a, a good core question for the entire country: is as long as these incentives are misaligned, um, we're never going to be able to, um, to to fix "quote unquote" healthcare. Um, and so, who's going to do the hard work of realigning them? Maybe, maybe we are. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. So, as a, as a whole other podcast another episode maybe a whole other show i don't know um that's a show i love to do though so someday maybe we can talk about that let's but do our own let's go back to the mind of a disruptor let's go into the back into the mind of a disruptor so the, another thing that you you're, you're always talking about um and this is the thing because some of this stuff you have to keep talking about over and over and over again because it, it, it's either new or it's it's a it's a change or a transformation that's hard for people to, to actually grab onto 
Um, and that's the idea of really coming out of this from a consumer perspective, understanding how to leverage consumer data. How do you get that data? Um, you've got some things to say about surveys and focus groups that make me want to do a little Irish jig right here on the floor. So talk to us a little bit about that perspective. I need to throw this piece in and we'll probably revisit a little bit more uh, in a second, which is um, uh, everything that I say don't do, I've probably done. So, um, you know, I, I am very direct and I do like to tell people um, that what they're doing is dumb. Um, and it, it doesn't mean that I am incapable of doing dumb things. Um, and, and have done a lot of dumb things in my time. So uh, it's one caveat or one uh, sort of addendum to all of this. Uh, so this is another area where for the first, I'd say uh, four or five years in healthcare, um, I was listening to the doctors and I was listening to the administrators and I was listening to a little bit to consumer surveys, um, focus groups, and other um and taking some uh direction and, and inspiration uh, from that and not listening to the data right so if you want to know um what to do it's how a patient thinks about um, your service offering how a patient gets from point a to point b in your system do not ask them you can ask them they will lie they may not know they're lying, but they will tell you something that is incorrect. Because when we're talking, when you as an individual are talking about healthcare, you will pretend that you do the research, for instance. When the truth is, you go to the thing that's closest to you. Um, quality is assumed when you walk in the door. You don't actually do a ton of research to figure out which toe doctor you're going to. Anyway, look at the data. Um, in our industry, we have more data about our patients than practically any other industry um, because we've got everything that's contained in the health record we can match it up with all of the uh, consumer data and other uh, demographic and psychographic data that's available out there through um, through advanced uh, targeting platforms like uh, like sales club i mean uh, marketing club um, and salesforce uh, but there are lots of others and this is not a, a pitch for any particular company and the point is you've got all of this um, data out there that you can then base real decisions on. So a simple one um, is doctor comes to you, Dr. X comes to you and says, I think we should do this particular tactic, whatever this tactic is. Um, and you can dig into the data and see one as simple as how is their volume doing, but two, um, you know, the, this app, for instance, we'll just take that. Um, probably attracts a customer of a certain demographics, right? In certain segments, um, whereas your your doctor's average patient actually looks like this, right? With a different group of people, um, and, and what you figure out really quickly is that um, you can you can uh, come to the physicians with uh, data and evidence. Them being evidence-driven scientists, almost always they get it, they understand it, and you don't have to be at odds with them by just speaking a language that they can understand. And I'm, the easiest thing to, and I, I like many of us, um, take inspiration from, from other companies in the world that uh, are successful um, and approach the customer in different ways. Uh, Amazon is an example. There are lots of others uh, that 
um, that use this. But up until the past few years, Amazon didn't really do any sort of traditional brand uh, marketing. They didn't try to market their uh, organization that way. Um, and they didn't do a ton of surveys to find out what customers were thinking. They just looked at their data. And, and, and so um, making the next marketing decision is often as simple as looking at your own data, understanding your customer better, and then targeting your efforts um, towards those uh, customers that are likely to yield um, the best result. It's really it, it, to me, it's extraordinarily simple and it's maddening um, to use uh, surveys and or um, focus groups unless you are working exclusively on brand awareness and sort of creative products, right? It, I get why those are necessary in, in certain areas. We, we do brand awareness surveys. Um, we're not uh, morons. Um, or ideologues <laughs> that are tied to only one way of approaching it. But what we don't do is, is ask our patients how to market to them because all of the data that we have um, tells us what we need to know already. Yeah, that's, I couldn't have said it better. And we had a, we had a podcast a couple episodes ago that talked about how we've used ethnography. Um, and I think it comes down to you want you want to know the behavior of consumers. You want to leverage the behavior of consumers because that's reality, not their opinions, not what they say. Um, ethnography is a way to observe behavior. Um, but up until recently, and by that I mean maybe a decade, um, maybe not even that for, for organizations outside of this, of this industry, it's been really hard to scale understanding behavior. Um, but now we have data that should allow us in, in all kinds of ways to really, to your point, look at the, um, what are they actually doing? And you can do this in marketing too. It's prototyping, it's testing, it's it's all of that. Um, that's gonna get you far um, better results on what works and what doesn't by putting something in the, marketing, in the market and seeing how it does, then asking people, how will this do? Um, right. Yes, it's we, so a good, easy, simple example at Piedmont around the funnel, right? Around just trying to get people to admit that primary care is in fact more important from a marketing perspective um, than specialty care um, and trying to get people to acknowledge that. And so we would just show them, <laughs> um, hey, on our website, on our website, uh, piedmont.org, um, 10 times as many people came on looking for primary care physicians than looking for cardiologists, our number one service line, right? The thing that Piedmont really owns in Atlanta and, and in Georgia. And, um, and we had to show people this to say, listen, it's not that this, that this service line isn't critically important to our business. It's just the way that people get into that service line is much different than the way that people get into a primary care visit. And we need to be building our tools around the way our customers behave because all marketing really is, is understanding customer behavior and then using the tactics and tools at, at your disposal um, to, to drive and or accommodate that at the very least. It's, you know, not to denigrate marketers because that's, we all are, but it's not rocket science people. It's just not that hard um, if you can just get out of your own way. 
but the, you said before, like you said, people shopping is just a joke and we, we, we won't go down that road, but that would be a whole nother great show. Um, but it just reminds me of seeing something like two or three years ago, a study by a pretty famous consultancy company. I won't name it. That said, like we surveyed patients and 68% of them said they would change their primary care physician if they could find one at a lower price point. And I said, of course they said that. Who's not going to say that? Who's going to say, no, I would never change even it, 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 but that's, but are 68% of people flipping around their primary care docs? Not even close. Yeah. Bud, is that, what's yeah. that from? That's a great, <laughs> uh, uh, fast times are rich, my high. That's right. That's right. So it just, it just shows like people will say whatever in a focus group and, and survey and it, it rarely correlates with what they want. What person is going to say, no, I don't care about the quality of my doctor. Right. Right. Every, none of them. Right. But what, but what we know is that um, if you put a doctor five minutes closer to that person, they'll choose that doctor instead. It's, it's so that being honestly, part, one of the reasons I took this role at summit and one of the reasons I love my job and I love what we do, um, is, is being a part of, um, this, this, uh, urgent care network and really seeing the way people behave when you put another urgent care closer to them than the one that they, and yes, we think our brand is valuable to people because our experience is valuable, valuable to people, but the number one brand attribute in our latest brand study <laughs> was convenience. <laughs> like it's just, that's what people in a world like ours, um, where everything is available to you um, uh, at a moment's notice, uh, convenience matters in almost every service, but it's particularly a low acuity urgent care visit where what you think is wrong with you is probably not all that important in the grand scheme of things. So let's transfer, let's transfer to the next topic. And I'm going to use, I'm going to use one more example of where asking people how they act is BS. And I, and I, I won't say it, but it was somebody I used to work with closely um, of a generation that I also won't name, but younger than me. Um, that's known for not being, you know, we're not, I'm not going to hear to any brand. No brand owns me. I do what I want to do. I'm the master of my domain and I will not. And then you go, but you bought a Nissan. Every car you've owned is a Nissan. Every computer you've ever owned, every device you've ever owned is an Apple. So you can say all day long you're not brand loyal, but you're brand loyal, right? So now I know you've got some opinions on brand. Let's go there. Let's just go. Let's do it. So, so I yes, I have opinions on brand, but it's not it's not as um, it it can only it's it is controversial only if I say it the wrong way sometimes. <laughs> um, but here's the deal. Your brand is nothing more than the the sum of the experiences that a customer has with your organization. Your brand is not what you say, what you say about yourself. Um, your brand is not what you look like. This is healthcare specific as well. Very important. Um, your brand is not your look, your feel, your tone of voice, any of that other garbage. Um, you may do a good job of that. You may get a little bit of extra brand awareness boost. Some people may like what you're doing. Some of your doctors, your administrators, and your other people may think, ooh, that was really good. And congratulations, that's job security. Um, but what it's not doing is causing anyone to go to your uh, healthcare providers, 
None of them. Not one of them. Um, the, the, the literally, literally zero. Um, and I know somebody's going to try to prove me wrong now and they probably will. That's fine. But guess what? The person who tells you I that will. it was the brand, the person who tells you that the brand advertisement drove them to visit you is lying. Um, so just like in all the other surveys, they're just telling you what you want to hear. The truth is brand advertising, um, is mostly a massive waste of money. And if there was one thing that any healthcare marketer at a health system could do to help their organization survive and thrive into the future where their margins are extraordinarily low and every dollar matters is stop wasting money on brand advertising. Just stop it. Um, the only time that brand advertising, in my opinion, um, is really effective and really important as a part of your overall mix one, you're introducing a new brand that, that you need people to at least recognize your sign um, when they're coming to visit you. I get that. There's an, and also, guess what? Great opportunity for you to be super creative and get that can lion that you've been dreaming of your whole life. And to, to listen, awards matter. Um, to, um, uh, if you have a very if you have a large and important, lower acuity consumer focused service, such as 150 urgent cares um, in the New York metropolitan area, some brand advertising probably important um, in order to continue to build an idea of who you are in the minds of customers who, um, who walk by your um, locations every day in May may in fact decide to pop in one um, because urgent cares are as close to an impulse buy in, in healthcare as you're going to get. Um, and so those, those two, those two times really, I think absolutely justified and, and understandable, but ongoing brand campaigns for your organization. If you are a hospital company um, that does uh, that makes most of your money and has most of your uh, resources invested in specialty, quaternary, tertiary care, um, you, it's, it, what you're doing is ego. You're massaging someone's ego, your own, um, your bosses, your doctors, your whoever's. Is there value in ego massaging? For sure. There's no doubt there's job security um, and there's some value in having uh, staff and employees um, who feel who because who because they don't quite understand the way marketing works um, derive some additional value from that. But I would tell you instead of investing that in sort of pure brand building advertising, um, use that as direct response advertising meant to drive people into your funnel to do the best you can at driving folks into your funnel. And if you're really worried about what your doctors think, you can build some really sophisticated audiences and targeting inside your programmatic display, social and other digital campaigns where the people who work for you will see your advertising. I've done it. You did it. it. Works. It's nice. So, um, <laughs> so if you really, if you really just want them to see it, I'm sorry, Chris, if you really just want them to see it, you can make it so that they see it. See advertising. Oh, 
Well, you know, from the guy who wrote a book called Joe Public Doesn't Care About Your Hospital, you're not going to be surprised. I agree with you in general. Um, I definitely agree with the very first thing you said, which is your brand is built by what you do, not what you say. Advertising is like so far down on the list of what influences people. So we're we're in fundamental agreement. I think a couple of other things to think about. Um, so I think you, you did a great job of outlining where it makes sense. Another place where it can make sense, and this is everybody will say they're in the market, this kind of market, but um, you can help distinguish yourself depending on who you are and what the other options are. So an AMC can distinguish themselves from a community hospital. Um, so. But what, how did people get into those? Okay, I'm gonna. I, I will stop. Okay, here, let me give you an example. I'll give you an example. I'll let you go. Okay, so I am. I am new to the market, or not? I'm not new to the market. Screw that. I've, I've been in the market, um, and two new urgent cares open up. They're equal distant from me. One is oh AMC urgent care, and one is Podunk suburb urgent care. Now, I may value Podunk Suburb because they have more facilities closer to me, or I may value AMC because I have a chronic condition. I may pick one or the other based on what it is. It's important for people to understand that. But that goes back to what you're saying. Wait, just wait. That goes back to what you're saying is that in that case, your brand is focused on driving people into something that they can actually do, which is go into an urgent care. So that would be like a top of the funnel support. And that's where I agree with you too is, any kind of brand advertising should be driving whoever you're targeting in to do something that they engage with you. It may not be with urgent care. It could be with health services. It could be, um, it could be a lot of different things. Um, that's where I think a lot of folks fall short is they just, they just put the tagline out there that has just minimal or, you know, not a lot of effect, right? You can beat people over the head. It just costs millions and millions of dollars. If you can drive them in for, for something of value that also distinguishes you in some way, I think that's a good thing, man. Well, I mean, sure. I mean, we can come up with hypotheticals that fit the example all the time, but that's not what the, that's not the real life situation that these organizations are living. And, and but what you said, there was a really important kernel of truth in there, which is one of the reasons a lot of organizations do this is because they believe that it can distinguish them. Um, but what they're missing, in my opinion, in that calculus is the people who make the recommendations, who move people into appointments that end up in a hospital setting, who put people into specialty visits. Those people are the doctors, right? And so I think one of the things we're saying that we haven't really peeled the onion completely just yet is how much of what we're doing is doctor driven at first internally. But then if you think about it logically and really try to wrap your brain around it, you think, well, maybe I should spend more time marketing to physicians more time understanding what drives physician referral behavior and getting them locked in um, because that to me is is the real key like that to me is the nut i'm trying to crack now because we've got this uh, really large and thriving multi-specialty organization that does an incredibly good job and i'm not just touting it because um, I work there, but it's one of the reasons I joined. 
Uh, but Summit has historically done an, ex- an especially good job at managing health for people, of keeping people in the network and, and helping patients realize all the benefits of staying inside of a multi-specialty network and getting your care from a single provider. Um, and payers recognize the value that we're creating, um, which is wonderful, and we need to continue that. And so um, understanding the mind of the physician and how they make decisions um, about that. Inside your organization, there's an operational piece that's super important. Um, but then there's also how, how do they make those decisions? It's not all just convenience. Um, it is a lot of, hey, I know this person. I've met them. I went to school with them. I respect their background, whatever it is. But understanding all of that better, that to me is the, is the, um, is the magic in all of this. And if I were at a health system, I would take that brand advertising money that's just extraordinarily wasteful to repeat myself and emphasize it. Uh, but I'd take all that waste and I would be plowing it in to what are the things I need to do to keep those patients um, uh, inside my organization. There's just no greater value you can provide your company if you're a big um, health system than that. Yeah. And he- that's that's all true and great and you still see it's such a significant gap in many hospitals and health systems in where their resources and priorities are um especially when it comes to building physician relations and understanding it it's still difficult for me to understand how few really understand referral patterns really understand what influences those um and by understand i mean like at a data level really Mm -hmm. looking at data um, and I guess the best guess I have is a lot of folks come up in this business and they come from an advertising or communication standpoint. So that's their natural default. It's easier. It's more fun, like you said. Um, building and implementing physician relations strategies is really hard. It's just like it's just, you know, one foot at a time ground war versus the shoot the jet over the top. Um, but but yeah, it, it, it absolutely would drive more value to an organization. It doesn't make anybody feel good either, right? Yeah. And that's the, the what you said before. It's like and I came into this industry with that same sort of excitement, like ooh, but you know, big successful organization. I can have a big fun brand uh, campaign. It can, I've done three rebrands now, um, at least in part because. Uh, <laughs> Um, because the organizations were interested and willing and, um, and, and I got to, to be, uh, to lead those. I'm never doing another one, by the way, because they're just the hardest work you can do. But anyway, um, the, that getting trapped into this sort of feel good, make pretty stuff, um, is, uh, is, is comfortable, can be comfortable for a lot of people and the, the, you gotta, but if you really, and I've been preaching this for a long time and I'm actually somewhat ashamed of where it ended up. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in just a second, but this, for a long time, it was like, if you want to, uh, make a difference, right. If you, if you want to be taken seriously in your boardrooms at the big tables, um, then you need to be able to show, the financial impact of the work that you're doing. Um, and a lot of people, 
Um, and I'm not the only one. I want to be clear. It's not, not just me that's a person out there saying these sorts of things. There are lots of other uh, smart people who've said similar things. Um, and, but what it ended up doing is this, this sort of uh, small ball, for lack of a better term. These little, these tiny little campaigns where you show this great ROI on this one bariatrics campaign, you show this one, this this great ROI on this one heart screening campaign, and we did all these things at Piedmont. I am not a, um, I'm not above uh, making those same mistakes. But what we ended up doing is um, instead of the hard work of understanding um, the data and the way patients are flowing through our systems, we settled for these um, little wins. Lots of little wins that we can trumpet to people. Hey, this one campaign where we spent $10,000, we brought in $50,000. It's like, for the love of God, you work in an $8 billion organization. Do something important. Be useful. And so that's the, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting a little punchy 40 minutes in. But it's like, that's the, um, that, that's where the funnel came from, right? When, it, when we started really thinking about how patients flew, flowed through the organization, um, the funnel helped crystallize for us, hey, marketing these one-off specialty services is like shoving people on the side of a funnel. It just doesn't work. Got to get them in the top and bring them down through. And um, it also helped me realize, oh, yeah, the, the, the marketing that we can do that's really going to drive the most value for the organization and it's so funny, right? Because it's super old school consumer products marketing. It's just how many leads I got to put in the top in order to get people to buy 12 boxes of cereal at the bottom, right? Like that's how many people do I need to hit with my brand campaign if I'm marketing Reese's cereal um, in order to in order to get a thousand boxes sold. Um, and, and that's a science, man. That like at P&G and those big consumer products companies, it's a, it is a science. Um, you can do that math inside of a healthcare organization as well, as long as you're taking the time to understand how many pay, how many primary care visits do I need to drive as an organization in order for that to yield X number of cases in each of these specialties along the way. We have a dashboard that shows us that, that we've created at Summit on the marketing team um, so that we can understand if we put... If we put a thousand people in here, how is that on average going to yield out to the rest of our organization? Um, but to get um, to the specifically to the referral management piece and the referral data piece, yeah, that's hard. That's actual hard work. Um, but if you don't take the time to dig into that and to understand that, you're never going to know. If you don't take the time to work with your ops team, to say, hey, we've got to measure every single time a physician makes a referral. They have to document it in the system. But we can make that as easy as possible. We know EHRs are the bane of doctor's existence. How do we make it easy for a physician to, um, to document a referral? Because if they don't document the referral, uh, we're not going to know how, what happened to that patient. We're not going to really be able to understand how patients flow. So the final piece of that um, is, for us at least, and one of the, the big benefits of uh, working for a for-profit healthcare company, and I know that that's not the kind of organization a lot of people want to work for, but um, I can tell you, just as a, as a quick sidelight, 
um, being uh, on the ground and working with the physicians, the quality of the physicians, the care of the staff, none of that changes because we're a for-profit company. But, I, but at the administrative and business intelligence level, a lot of things do change um, because we are focused on um, understanding our business so that we can fix the processes that will help us yield the best financial result for the organization. And uh, any doctor you know will tell you that the best, the best, um, the best and highest quality for the patient is also going to yield the best financial organization. It's the absolute 100% truth. And so for us, um, we've got these great experts, um, uh, many from in industry, but some from out of industry on the executive team. Um, and and uh, we're looking closely at how do we um, create a system that makes it easy for people to document referrals so that we can track referrals and then work with the ops team to follow up on referrals. How can we build um, a referral engine? Because one, one of the things we know just in piloting um, our referral management uh, program is um, is that our physicians are making referrals to other doctors um, in our network, right? In the Summit Health Network, where appropriate, where geographically appropriate, but we're still relying on patients to, to cover that last mile, right? You're relying on the patient to cover that last bit. So what do we need to invest in order to, to, to cover it for the patients, knowing that making the appointment in office for them doesn't work for all. Some of them just want the name and they want to leave. So how do we follow up with those folks? How do we make the appointment for those patients so that they get in? It's really basic, simple things like that that are, um, that are operationally difficult, right? They're not complicated. They're just operationally challenging. Um, and if, you, if you're not going to take the time to do that, um, then you're really not doing a whole hell of a lot to increase the value of your, your organization. But hey, at least you made something pretty. Wow. He ends with the final shot. Bam! I'm going to the counter. I'm just going to let you have it. <laughs> well, no, I think we agree. Yeah, we do. There's, nothing, we do. there's yeah. nothing wrong with making pretty things. We're making pretty things right now because Summit Health is a new brand. Um, we've got a brand campaign in, in production right now. In August, we're going to launch, and it's going to be pretty. It's going to win us some lions. But it's um, And it'll drive brand awareness of Summit Health, which is important because most of the people in our market don't know what it is yet. Um, but it's... It's not the way that I'm going to measure success for me and my team. Winning awards uh, doesn't put another patient into an appointment. Period. Boom. That's we should stop right there. That's like the bumper sticker that we were looking for. Got it. <laughs> now let's let's wrap. This is amazing as usual. I don't know why it took us so long to have you on, Matt Gove. I, it felt personal. It really did. You say, you say we're friends. Jeez, man. Got to wait like a year. We'll have, back. we'll have you back sooner rather than later. Just to go for it. How about that? It's just we not, it's just not, we not, not until there's, <laughs> not until there's consumer demand, but no, I mean, I, um, I, 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 I love talking, um, about this. I mean, I love talking generally, but I love talking about this, um, 
as well. And the longer I spend in this industry, the more fun it is to think um, to think as much about this sort of bigger business strategy as I do about the um, individual marketing tactics. Right? A lot of those tactics are still fine. Launching a website is still fine. Building an app is still fine. Um, doing doing a brand campaign still fine. Um, but understanding how pulling these levers actually helps the industry, um, helps your company and the industry uh, get ahead. It's really, um, that's where it's at. You want another bumper sticker? Yeah, yeah. That's good for now. Now it's, now it's like some kind of label on the inside of the hood. All right. So you will come back? I'd love to. Thank you. Right. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining, Matt. Uh, Gretchen Smithson, thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. This time. Thanks for having me. Don't leave yet, Matt. We're not done. Please let us know if there's something you'd like us to cover. Uh, you can throw it in the comments section if you're with us live. Otherwise, email us at nonormal at thinkrevivehealth.com. Uh, we'd love to cover topics that we haven't got to that are interesting to you. So let us know what those are. Remember to visit thinkrevivehealth.com backslash no dash normal for a recording of today's episode. That'll be up tomorrow. And as always, you will, if you are live or listening later, you can always subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. So thanks for joining us this week. And until next time, good luck out there in the no normal. Thanks. Thanks.